Oi, oi. You know, one thing about preaching this time of year when everybody's traveling, you have to have a very special gift to preach to empty seats. But we have it. <laughs> it's past week as I began to pray and ask God, Lord, what word would you have for TCF this Sunday? And immediately, three verses of scripture came, not one in order, but simultaneously in a rather confusing way. Jesus on the cross said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last. The apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Henceforth it is not I that liveth, but Christ liveth within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Hebrews 12:1. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race faithfully, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Lord, what does all that mean? And then these words came to me. The power of example. And I believe that's a theme our Lord would have us consider today. The power of example. I did a rather quick search of the New Testament and discovered 14 places in the New Testament that discuss the subject of example. Two of them were negative. For instance, to the Corinthians, Paul said, look at the Hebrews who failed to follow God. They did not have sufficient faith. They, didn't, they were not obedient to him. And so for 40 years, they wandered and died in the wilderness. Don't follow that example. And he reiterated that. Paul reiterated that in Colossians. Negative examples. There's a power in negative examples, isn't there? You see the consequences of this and the consequences of that. Yet some people are so stupid <laughs> that seeing those consequences, they ignore that example and find themselves in trouble. But so many positive examples we find in Scripture. And they say so much. Remember Jesus in John 13, 35, after he had washed the disciples' feet, remember they came into the room and the custom was for a servant or someone to take a basin and a towel and go wash the feet of all those that have traveled. They had dust on their feet before you sat down to dinner, but nobody did it. And then Jesus, the Son of God, got up and took a basin of water and a towel and washed everyone's feet. And he said, you've seen what I have done I've washed your feet, follow my example, and do the same. Such humility, but the power 
of example. Paul wrote to three times, said, follow my example. Twice to the Thessalonians, both in First and Second Thessalonians, he said, follow my example. What was he talking about? He said, when I was in your midst, because I came as the minister of the gospel, as I came preaching, as I came teaching, and as the church began to develop, I had the right to ask you to financially support me. But even though I had that right, I didn't do it. I worked with my hands and earned my bread. Now, here's an interesting thing. Paul had a team with him. And so often the team works and supports the leader. But this is the other way around. The leader worked and supported his team. Paul said, you should do the same thing. And a man who will not work should not eat. Follow my example. But then to the Philippians, he said, notice how I walk and follow my example. Think about the example of Paul. I am crucified with Christ. Henceforth it is not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth within me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But <laughs> Paul was single. He didn't have a wife, didn't have children, didn't have aged parents to care for. As a matter of fact, he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, you know, a man who is single and unmarried is free in an undistracted way to serve Christ. But a man who is married's first concern is, how can he please his wife? A virgin or an unmarried woman is free in an undistracted way to serve Christ. But a married woman seeks to please her husband and is distracted. He said, no, I'm not telling you these things to be a burden on you, but just to stimulate your devotion. I'll tell you, he spoke the truth. Let me tell you a story. I had my very first date with Barbara Gerties, February 21st, 1948, on her 16th birthday. It was our high school band, Hayride, and so we rode in the hay rack and got to the destination and there was a fire and we had roasted hot dogs and marshmallows and went home. But I'll tell you, my heart was captured. My heart was captured. Later on that summer, I had a job digging ditches with a pitchfork and a shovel for Muskogee County, but I don't care how tired I was, I got home, took a bath and made it over her house. <laughs> And we had time together. The end of the summer, I quit that job and went to work for S.H. Crest Company in the stock room and attended Muskogee Junior College. But I wanted to marry that woman. <laughs> and I knew I couldn't marry her on the salary I earned as a stock boy. So I quit that job on January 1st, 1949, went to work for the Katy Railroad. And I'll tell you, that was the best paying job in town. <laughs> I had an income and I could plan to marry that delicious creature. But then I began to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. 
single man can serve Christ in full devotion. But if you're married, <laughs> just instinctively, your first concern is your wife. Does God want me to get married? I remember standing by the dining room table and telling my mother about this quandary I was facing. The next day, she was in the backyard discussing, mentioning to a neighbor on the other side of the fence what I was going through. Now, this was a Catholic family, and living among them, one of their residents was their old grandmother, Mrs. Marth, and that's the lady with whom my mother was talking. And Mrs. Marth blurted out, you see, that's the problem with reading the Bible. We have a young priest trying to get us to read the Bible. I haven't read the Bible all my life, and I'm not going to start now. <laughs> well, I also began to realize Paul was not opposed to marriage. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he warned the church about being aware of the doctrine of demons that was coming about. And he said, one of these is to forbid people from being married. And forbid eating certain foods, which God has given for us to enjoy with thanksgiving. And then the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about marriage. And how a man is to love his wife and serve her. And, how, and, and in an Ephesians 5, he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He said, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. Yep, Paul was not opposed to marriage. Matter of fact, he said, I wish that everyone were as I, but not everyone is called to that. So, on August 20th, 1949, that delicious creature became my wife. And God gave us 59 years. And during those 59 years, I can truly say, whatever I was doing, whether I was traveling in ministry or doing something at home, there was always the question, what impact is this having on Barbara? And you heard it said that after a few years, romance leaves marriage. It didn't with me. I wooed that woman till the day she died. You know what? October 20th, 2008, Jesus embraced her. She left my arms to enter his. From that day on, I've had a freedom to serve Christ I did not have during those years of marriage. And there's some of you who are here that can testify to that. We have you who are widowers and you who are widows. And you know the difference. Of course, we have some here that are divorced, some that have never been married. What about us? What about those who are in that category? What an ability to serve God with all of our hearts. I can tell you I am busier now, I think, than I have ever been in my whole life serving God here, serving God there in ways I never would have imagined. 
Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3, he said, whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the glory of Christ. And then a few verses later, he said, slaves, be obedient to your master. And then he said, work with diligence as if you were working for God and not for men. I'll tell you, that's an important principle, isn't it? The late 1970s, in order to pay hospital and doctor bills that my, had been accumulated because of my wife's many illnesses, I realized I had to somehow come up with more income. What could I do that would not interfere with the hours that were involved in ministry as a minister of the church and still produce an income? I took a job working nights then as a janitor, first cleaning the offices of the Pepsi-Cola building across the river and then cleaning an office building on 41st Street just east of Peoria. That building had 13 restrooms. And I thought, I'm going to approach this as working for God, not for the man who writes the paycheck. And I worked with diligence. Of those 13 restrooms, I never used a mop. I scrubbed the floor with a mop bucket and a sponge. I polished toilets for Jesus. Ash, trash, and dust. You walk into the, an office, you empty the ashtray, you get rid of the trash, and you dust everything, then you vacuum the floor, office after office. The owners of the property came to me and said, your work is phenomenal. We'd like for you to take over our next building. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not called to do that. But I'll tell you, if I owned a business and I hired people, I would want to hire exclusively dedicated Christians who wouldn't be working for me but working for Jesus even though I wrote the check. What an example you see we have to set to say to people, you need to understand why I'm doing this. I'm not working for you. I'm working for the Lord Jesus Christ. But think about marriage. How blessed every marriage would be if every husband began to love his wife the way Christ Jesus loves the church. To set that example, instead of spending money for myself, I'll spend it on you. Instead of fritting away the hours and doing the things I like doing, I ask myself, what fulfills you? And what can we do together? And if every wife reverenced her husband as she would Christ Jesus as the church does Christ, wouldn't that make a difference in the marriages we see in the world and the marriages we see in the church? And then to say to the world, why is our marriages happy? This is an example of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is recorded by Matthew. 
Remember our Lord Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, and if salt had lost its saltiness, how's it ever going to get it back? That's a paraphrase, of course. He said, no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. And then he said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men, seeing your good works, will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now remember, we humans divided the New Testament and Old Testament up into chapters and verses. So the way this portion of Matthew is divided is you go to chapter 6, Jesus said, Don't be like the hypocrites who as they come to give alms blow a trumpet in order they can be seen of men in giving these alms. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the corner and pray so people will come and see what they're doing and praise them. They do this to be praised by men. But he said, go into your closet, pray in secret, and God who hears in secret will reward you in secret. <laughs> Matter of fact, giving an alms, he said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That sounds like Jesus contradicted himself, didn't he? <laughs> the first part, he said, let your light so shine before men that they, seeing your good works, glorify your Father in heaven. And here he says, do things in secret so even your right hand doesn't know, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Did Jesus contradict himself in my opinion please understand my opinion the key is the motive do we do things to be seen of men or do we do things to glorify God unconscious and let joyous of the fact that what we do will be seen and when asked about it, we can say it is because I belong to Jesus. I'm a slave of my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of example is very important. And the last time we spoke, we talked about the fact that church should display Jesus, and when you see the church, you should see Jesus. But you know that's true of us as individuals, isn't it? That when the church, when the world sees us, when they see the way we live, when we see the heart we have for people, and not just the heart. You remember James said, if a brother comes to you naked, hungry, and cold, you say, be ye warmed and filled. But don't give him a bowl of oatmeal, you've wasted your prayer. Good works. Paul also said, you know, good works don't save us, but we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Oh God, may the Lord lead us and guide us to do those things, not to be praised of men, but to the glory of God, to the glory of Jesus. And yet when we live that way, the world is going to see good works and give glory to God. 
And I think each of us needs to ask the question. I asked this question before God. What kind of an example am I? Is there any power in my example? And what direction does that power take people toward you or toward something else? What kind of an example am I before the world? I think that's a question each of us needs to ask from time to time as we sit before the Lord in prayer. May God bless you.